Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show with my co-host. It's Frank Washcook. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Bit quieter this week, isn't it? We had a couple of really busy weeks with the Oscars of PR and what have you, but still lots of stories, and we'll get into some of those. We'll talk about a stand-up to Jewish hate trend that um, has got a lot of attention. The Pope, has he been wearing Balenciaga or not? Well, we will discuss. What do we think of this We Love New York City logo? Bit of a chatter around that. Procter & Gamble vet Kelly Vanass has uh, left the uh, biggest uh, advertiser in the world after more than nearly three decades. So we'll find out what's happening with her. We'll catch up on some interesting account wins and losses and people moves and account stories. Before that, we're going to speak to our special guest. It's Therese Caruso, who's Global Head of Strategy and Planning at Zeno. Therese, how, how are you doing? And welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. I'm doing really well. Thanks. Yeah, calling in from Chicago, I think. Is that right? No, I'm not. I'm calling in from New York. Okay. Well, I made my first mistake of the pod, but hey, that's the beauty of uh, live broadcasting, isn't it? Um, Yeah. So you've done this really interesting study called The State of Multiculturalism in America Today, a new mandate, which you've done, Zeno's done with Igami. First of all, tell us about Igami and the relationship between Zeno and Igami for people who don't know about it. We do have a very unique partnership with Igami. Um, we, we are both independent firms, but we are working with Igami as a specialist in the multicultural sector. And we're going to be doing research with them. We're going to be working with our clients with them. We're going to be collaborating in any unique way um, to help our clients understand the state of multiculturalism and how they need to engage with all these different groups, the traditional groups, as well as other groups that we have found through this new research. Yeah, and there is, I believe, some sort of equity arrangement between the two organizations, a minority equity arrangement. Is that right? Yes, it is. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it's an interesting um, structure and very, um, um, very interesting model and um, producing some some great uh, projects and, and things like this. Now, a couple of the things that immediately jumped out to me, Therese, were the multi-ethnic segment. So I'd love yes. to get into that. And then generation self-defined. So why don't we just let you sort of give us a couple of top line findings from this uh, interesting report? Great. Um, so first of all, I just want to say that The research is on multicultural communities, how they feel about their lives, their futures, um, how the impact of them on shifting and evolving values um, in America, um, and also new rules of engagement for traditional groups. We did find, as you said, Steve, and I do think that's the most interesting finding as well. There's a new group that has not been studied, um, and this new group we have We've named them Generation Self-Defined. And the reason why we named them this is because they really don't want to be defined. Their identity is very multifaceted. And um, they are probably really optimistic as a group, but they're also really trying to make progress and some of the biggest challenges that we have in the world. And you say Gen Z and Generation Self-Defined. They really are the same generation. They're the fastest growing group um, in the country now and just in terms of their influence and their voice 
And um, most of the study that I'm going to hopefully be talking to you about today, I'd like to focus on Generation Self-Defined because it is this unique group that hasn't really been studied and there's not a whole lot of information out there um, on this group. Yeah, and it's grown four times, fourfold in in a decade and is now make, making up more than 10% of the population. So from a community, as well as just a social uh, trend and a really interesting trend, it's for marketers and communicators, it's really important because it's uh, a, a core group that you've got to be aware of and, and study and communicate with in the right way. Exactly. And I just want to make a finer point on who they are. So these individuals, they identify as two or more ethnicities. Um, and again, you, you said it very well, they are among the fastest growing. They're the youngest segment in the U.S. population um, that it has influence and voice. And we wanted to kind of evaluate the meaning, the impact and the challenges that they have in front of them in the world today. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating group and demographic because people don't often consider uh, this this group, this cohort. But they they they're growing up with uh, you know they don't even think about a lot of the things that previous generations do. Do they? They're growing up in a really diverse environment, a very inclusive environment. They have mm-hmm. they don't think of things in the same way as as maybe I did when I grew up and and my generation and other generations. And it's in in many ways, I think it's a really positive generation because they they're seeing life in a, a much more equitable way. So I'd love to find out a bit more about them. So tell us a bit more about them, Therese, and and what communicators and marketers should know when they're trying to talk to them. Sure. I mean, first of all, I'd like to talk about their power and influence, just to put it into perspective. The U.S. buying power of this population, generation self-defined within Gen Z, is about hundred billion. Um, so, and their influence is really felt across every industry, beauty, food and beverage, media, fashion, sports, technology, and other industries that they're kind of trying to change the face of. Um, they don't shy away from engaging with brands. 62% of them found, we found reach out to brands for assistance. Um, and the youngest of them, the, the 18 to 29 year olds are Gen Z. They are also, and we predict them to be voting in his sort of a historic rates in 2022. And I don't know if you guys know this, but there is our first multi-ethnic Gen Z in um, Florida. His name is Maxwell Frost. Um, and he is the first Gen Z and also the first multi-ethnic to be in government. So we're kind of predicting that because he's in that other Gen Zs and other multi-ethnic Gen Zs will start looking at politics and government in a new way, which is really good for our country for a variety of reasons. Yeah, um, and it will be really important moving up to the election next year, won't it? Absolutely. Um, a couple of uh, key outtakes from the research, uh, a few imperatives. The first one we found is that this group really does not want to focus on surface level physical attributes. It's hard to do that because they want brands and companies to embrace their entire identity. Um, and what that means is their approach to everything from family and home and work, how they express their authenticity through beauty and fashion and food. And they're definitely not a monolithic group. Um, in fact, 75% of them feel that their personal identity plays a very important role in their day-to-day lives. So we kind of have to get it right as brands to understand how to embrace them in the most authentic way. We also ask them to rank 
the most important facets of their identity, which is a really interesting um, kind of answer to the question. The number one is their ethnicity and their race, and then their gender identity, and then followed by age. Uh, we also ask them, you know, how frequently they engage in different um, in in the different facets of their identity in terms of how they express themselves, and it's everything from what they eat to um, learning more about their own ethnicity and race to having conversations, you know, in the language that is spoken by their own ethnic and racial community and. They want to consume content that's specifically from their ethnic and, and racial community. And so our research shows all the different ways they express their identity and how companies and brands need to engage with them in terms of their identity. Um, we also ask them what industries are doing a good job in engaging them and those industries that perhaps are are not really engaging them in a way that is authentic to who they are. And the industries that are engaging them really well are industries like beauty and fashion and even food. But the vital to life, we call them industries that really are not embracing this group are like healthcare, um, the financial sector, even the technology sector. They're not communicating in ways that are authentic to any any uh, multicultural group actually, um, especially the generation self-defined that we're talking about here. And I think the biggest finding that I would love to communicate here, because it's it's something that that I think brands and companies really need to think about, is that generation self-defined, this multi-ethnic group, they actually don't feel a sense of community anywhere because they say that if they're black, Hispanic, and Asian, they don't feel black enough in the black community or Hispanic enough in the Hispanic community. So this is a real opportunity for companies and brands to help them feel a sense of belonging in the world because their influence is sort of disproportionate. They are influencing generations that are older than they are and generations that are younger than they are. So I, I think this is an opportunity right now to understand how to communicate with this audience and what matters most to them. Yeah. Now, when you say certain areas of industry are doing a particularly good job, are there any particular campaigns or activations that stand out that, you know, really resonated with this audience, with this cohort? Well, we, we, we didn't ask campaigns um, that resonate. Or brands, we, maybe. We, we do know that we do know the industries um, that are, you know, doing a really good job. I mean, we and I, I, I can't really say because we didn't ask in the research for campaigns or brands specifically, but mm. we do know. And this is so interesting, um, Steve. We do know that among the different groups, let's say black, Hispanic, um, we looked at Asian and Pacific Islander and the multi-ethnic groups. The industries that are doing really well um, are, as I said, sports, beauty, media and entertainment, education, food, grocery, and the ones that aren't doing as well are government and and sports, uh, actually recreation, financial, healthcare, and travel. Um, I think one of the brands that it always rises to the top, and they did name a brand in the OEs, is Ulta Beauty, and probably yeah. because the beauty industry helps them to self-express in terms of their identity. I'm surprised to hear that about sports, given that, you know, sports teams tend to be multi-ethnic and, and tend to, you know, be a great equalizer in a lot of ways. 
Well, I have to say that, um, and that's a really good thing to mention here. When you think of younger generations, they are not participating in sports the way other um, older generations ever did. They're, they're, you know, their sports are being consumed online, a lot of it. They're gaming, but they're not participating in sports like other youth generations. So I think this is a big moment in the sports industry to understand how to engage them and how to put maybe a little bit of a different face on sports. I think the brand that's doing well in the sports area is the NBA. And the reason why they're doing well with younger audiences is that they're focused on players and the role of specific players versus, you know, just just the sport in general. That, that That's not a really resonant um, thing for this generation. We talk a lot about diversity in the PR industry, Therese, and um, especially in the agency sector. How do you think this generation is represented within agencies at the moment? I I, I don't think they're represented well um, within agencies at the moment, but I do think that it's getting better. It's getting better than it was like five years ago, but I think there's a lot of work to be done um, in the agency and the marketing sector for this group, for sure. And I guess that's another reason for teaming up with Igami because they can bring that to the table and um, and bring that that knowledge and um, experience into into the Zeno world. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So, just to finish up, what would you say the top two or three takeaways are for communicators from this interesting piece of research, which mm-hmm. uh, I think is well worth checking out? It was six thousand people, I think you you uh, surveyed. 6,000 people, yes. Um, so it's it's a very pervasive study. I think one, one key takeaway is to understand generation self-defined is, um, is important to understand Gen Z in general. And um, the fact that their approach to brands is completely different um, than other generations. They don't, they use brands to create their own brand. They rely on brands to make the world better. And um, that's an important thing to note. Remember, this is the generation that that invented YouTube. Um, so, so it's important for brands to help them be stronger and help them build their own brand so that they can make the world a better place. Um, and then I think the third key takeaway here is that it's really important um, for brands to talk to them directly and to not make any you know, generalized points about who they are because brands and companies need to speak to all the facets of who these individuals are. And in order to do that, they need to do their own research. I think, you know, um, doing focus groups and building communities of these individuals is really the only way to get to know them and to customize messages that are really authentic to the brands and companies that are communicating to the group. Great stuff, Therese, and uh, I'll allow you a free plug. What should Where should people go if they want to find out more? You can go to the Xeno Group website to find out more. Yeah, so check it out. I should mention another piece of research we featured this week on PR Week from the Axis Agency and uh, market researcher Brand Through, which is also about diversity and multiculturalism among millennials, and that one's worth checking out. We've got an op-ed from Armando Azaloza about that so yeah hot topic and lots of interesting data to soak up and um, put into practice in terms of your communications and marketing strategies so well thanks therese for talking us through that and we'll get your input on some of the big stories of the week frank one of our busiest stories this week was about why 
blue squares are suddenly appearing on TV and social media. Tell us all about that. Yeah, really important campaign. Uh, I think when you consider everything that's going on in the world and on social media, uh, this is an awareness campaign that is uh, it's launched by the uh, Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism, which is uh, the person behind that is Robert Kraft, who you might know as the Kraft Group founder, chairman and CEO. You might know him as the owner of the New England Patriots. Do indeed. Yeah. yeah. And um, with a checkered past. Uh, uh, best not go into that on this <laughs> segment. So um, his group has launched an effort essentially to raise awareness about hate crimes against Jewish people. Um, and pointing out that while people who are Jewish make up 2.4% of the U.S. population, they are the target of more than 55% of all religious hate crimes in the country. Uh, so Weber Shanwick is the agency working with them on this. Again, I think it's a really important campaign when you uh, – just when you see the the level of things being said on social media and how over the top it is and really how hateful it is. It's important that a group is doing a campaign like this uh, at this time. And I, I think it's important that Kraft is, um, he's throwing his weight behind this as well. So good for him on this. Yeah, absolutely. And um, talking of social media, I was looking on social earlier this week and I see the Pope in all this Balenciaga gear. He looks great, doesn't um, he? Yeah, he does. He looks very cool. But then, it, you know, he lives in Italy. But, yeah. but what's this all about? Because there's a serious point to this as well. as This is a sort of fun um, indicator of of the you know misinformation, but it, it it's not all fun, is it? Yes, Pope Francis clearly still uh, celebrating the the Argentinians win in the World Cup and <laughs> yeah. a, a very puffy white jacket. Uh, I think he looks terrific, but unfortunately, it's not real. Um, it is a deep fake image that is showing him in Balenciaga uh, gear. So uh, a lot of people thought it was real. I think a lot of people hoped it was real <laughs> too, uh, for whatever reason. And um, it's 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 it, this is going to be a huge thing with um, with deep fakes and and extreme use of AI. And it's it's this is something we're looking into in depth this week in PR week and how brands are preparing for uh, their companies or agencies are preparing for the clients they work with to be targeted in something like this or even show up innocuously in a way that uh, people will absolutely think is real. So uh, it's a fun image. I think a lot of people had a lot of fun with it, but it's also indicative that this is, um, this is, this is getting to be a serious it's, thing in a is. hurry, isn't it? So Yeah, Therese, uh, much as we'd love to see the Pope, you know, celebrating Mass in his uh, funky Balenciaga gear from the Vatican, there is a big serious point here for communicators and marketers, isn't there, that of all the sort of fakery on social. And, and it's only going to um, multiply, I think, moving forward. What do you think the lessons are here for communicators? I think I think this is a, a huge problem in particular for this younger group that we just talked about, because any fakery and anything that speaks to something that isn't really authentic, I, I'm not really sure they're going to they're going to want to engage in that. Um, and I, I think it's a, I'm not really sure it's a great move um, at all, um, especially with this younger group. Yeah, because when something fake goes out there, there's. It seems to me that there's a percentage of people who just think it's true, don't they? They they believe mm-hmm. everything they see on social or TikTok or wherever it is, and you've already caught you've you've already established a narrative which which may be completely false. I think, which Frank, the other thing was the images of uh, former President Trump being, being supposedly being arrested, you know, which 
we're total fakes, but um, everybody's there was there a, were there people were, that were fooled by it. Sure, there were. So this is going to come up all the time, and you're going to yeah. have to have uh, a strategy for this if you're uh, if you you're looking after a reputation of a brand or or uh, marketing. So uh, an important story, you know, with with a slightly fun angle on this particular occasion. Let's talk about this new uh, logo for New York City, Frank. It's caused a lot of controversy, hasn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. So the agency behind it was uh, nice enough to uh, talk with uh, PR Week's own Diana Bradley this week, and they said they're they're open to criticism about um, the new We Love NYC logo, and that's a good thing because they're getting a lot of it. And uh, I think that the problem is a lot of people just don't like the fact that they took a uh, beloved logo, which was designed by the, the legendary... Uh, uh, Milton Glaser uh, debuted in 1977 and sort of reworked it. I think a lot of people thought it was unnecessary and maybe just didn't like the campaign. Uh, the firm behind it, the marketing firm behind it, is Marion B, uh, who is uh, who, you know is is has very thick skin about this and says I don't mind the people of criticism. I welcome it. New Yorkers have strong opinions. Uh, the more serious reason behind the campaign is that uh, it's inspired by the fact that. Optimism is needed in New York City and civic action to help the city after the worst of the uh, COVID-19 campaign. Um, As part of a bigger alliance, Edelman is working on this, and it's my understanding that some WPP firms are taking it over uh, going forward. So we'll see if there's a next iteration to it as well. Yeah, I saw someone wearing a a pin badge with it on at an event last night. It actually looked fine. I think part of this is just so familiar, isn't it? It I love New York. NYC that you it's like anything new maybe takes a little bit of time to sink in uh, maybe it doesn't fit on a t-shirt in exactly the, the right way it's more of a landscapey image than portrait but uh, I'm sure it'll uh, I'm sure it'll you know people will get to know it and, and get to like it did you like it Therese was it uh... <laughs> actually I, I was going to say that um, my, I have a daughter who's a senior at Barnard College and of course it's a New York City institution and they were protesting um, oh, really? that logo uh, and I think because they're saying leave our beloved New York alone what is this all about they don't like change and they don't like change that really comes about that doesn't have a real reason for it so they're all saying, why do they have to do that to the logo? Why not just do a campaign using the original logo? Yeah. So they, they didn't like it very much. Yeah, interesting. I, I suppose that's a tribute to the original logo, isn't it? That it's yes, so iconic exactly. that people really bought into it and love it. And it's it, it means a lot to them. To, um, it always reminds me of Fred Cook from Golden wearing his I Love PR <laughs> t-shirt at the Hall of Fame the other yeah, and um, obviously PR can stand for Puerto Rico or, or public relations. But and uh, Puerto Rico does use a similar logo. Yeah, it does. Some, so, uh, yeah, markets. these logos, um, they're simple but effective, aren't they? So they're, they're obviously doing a job. Let's talk about Kelly Vanass, um, someone we've interacted with a lot over the years, Procter & Gamble, real fantastic communicator and uh, worker on behalf of all P&G's brands over, I think, 27, 28 yeah. years. Um, she's moving on from P&G after a great service and going to be 
uh, doing something different. Tell us all about it, Frank. Bit of an unconventional career move uh, in that she had retired uh, from Procter & Gamble after a long career there, like you just mentioned, but she is joining a consultancy called Corporate Consciousness. Um, And this helps leaders integrate compassionate self-awareness into their teams. Uh, And uh, she makes the point in an interview that um, self-awareness is uh, in many ways more important than uh, intelligence, more important than a lot of other factors in determining how successful somebody is going to be. Uh, So corporate consciousness, if you're not aware of them, uh, they've held workshops at companies including Toyota and P&G. They've worked with firms including Marina Mar Communications. Um, And uh, Kelly Vaness discovered the group when there was a workshop held at P&G with this organization a dozen years ago. So uh, interesting to see if we'll cross paths with them in the future. Yeah, and so it's not a COVID thing. It's not. The roots go back way before that. No, no, no. It's it's more of team development sessions and they focus on topics like communications and leadership. So there is overlap with communications. It's not completely out of left field. Um, It is... The organization's work is dedicated to the Enneagram, which I'm told is a system of personality typing that describes patterns and how people interpret the world and manage their emotions. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Therese, we've talked a lot about mental health post-COVID, about hybrid work, about well-being and mental mental well-being. Can you see the, uh, you know, the demand for more compassion or self-awareness in, in the PR world, especially agencies, you know, where you're working so hard? Oh, absolutely. Um, one thing that we know is there's there's now four generations in the workplace working side by side. That's the first time that's ever been the case. And the youngest generation, when I look at the values of these guys, empathy is a top 10 value. Empathy, compassion. I think it's really interesting that um, Kelly left P&G and is at this group. I'm glad that this group is here um, because I think the work they're doing is important and um and and necessary right now so i'll be tracking this to see how they're doing yeah i think we might try and get kelly on the podcast actually i think it'd be great to chat to her about it and uh allied with her fantastic experience at png that she'll she'll bring a lot to the table i'm sure let's talk about some account wins and losses frank Burger King has a new consumer PR AOR. It's ICR. Uh, They brought them on recently after an RFP that started last year. Uh, So they join, um, I said they, ICR as well as Cano, uh, which is the uh, oldest Hispanic-founded agency in the United States, is also going to serve as the culture and brand partnerships AOR. So two new AORs for Burger King in the U.S., they joined Burger King's suite of agencies, uh, which includes um, the creative shop OKRP, uh, PhD handles media for them, uh, and social media is handled by Dentsu's 360i. Yeah, and that was bad news for Alison Broad, yes. wasn't it? Because they were previously working with them, but they had another uh, bit of better news with uh, Pizza Hut. Yes, Alison Broad had a 10-year account with Burger King, which they took over for Coin PR. Uh, back in 2013. Now, uh, like you said, some good news in that Allison Broad took over the USPR AOR, AOR account for Pizza Hut, uh, and Zeno Group was the incumbent on that account. And yep, and um, I think Allison Broad's still going to be working with Popeyes at RBI. That's at right. Burger King. Therese, I don't, don't expect you to comment deeply on this, but I suppose, you know, accounts in the agency world, you're going to win accounts, you're going to lose accounts. It's part of the sort of uh, back and forth of agency life, isn't it? You've got to 
celebrate the wins and pick yourselves up after you, you know, you, uh, a client decides to move in another direction. Absolutely. I don't really have much to say on that. Um, other than, you know, I've been in the industry now for over 20 years and it's just part of, it's part of being in the industry. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you've got to, uh, develop a thick skin, I guess, and uh, yeah. just make sure you celebrate the good times as well. Um, and then just to finish up, Frank, uh, some some other notable account wins and people's stories, another busy week on the news front. Yeah, it is. And let's start with American Express, uh, which named Giovanna Falbo as his SVP of corporate communications. Uh, she was previously at an interesting company, Masterclass. Um, so um, she is filling the role that was formerly held by Leah Gerstner, um, and Falbo is going to report up to a recent guest on the podcast, Jennifer Schuyler. Quick office launch story. Glen Echo Group and Berlin Rosen have teamed up to launch their first joint office this month. Uh, it's located in Amsterdam. And this follows Berlin Rosen taking majority investment in Glen Echo Group uh, last July and also Berlin Rosen's acquisition of Daris. Uh, and this Amsterdam office is going to uh, benefit all three agencies. Uh, in another deal, and this is a hot space, WPP has acquired the influencer marketing firm, obviously. Uh, they have a strong footprint in a lot of data uh, and comms tech and the sciences, so to speak, but also a uh, strong consumer base in healthcare and some other areas. Uh, so that firm's services include marketing strategy, influencer identification, content creation, in reporting and analysis. Now, one thing that's interesting about this is that WPP has acquired a bunch of influencer firms over the past uh, year, most recently GOAT, which uh, it acquired last week. Now, these are all, um, they're being added to different parts of the WPP tree. Uh, so GOAT is a part of uh, Group M's Nexus operations uh, and the influencer shop Village Marketing, uh, which it bought in February 2022 as part of Wonderman Thompson, whereas it is putting obviously in part of VMLYNR. So that's interesting as well. Um, APCO Worldwide uh, has bought the London-based financial shop Comerico. Um, and it, it's APCO says it is targeting New York and Dubai as the first locations in which it can expand Comerico um, as it looks to, as it's saying, plug more gaps through further acquisitions and appointments. This is interesting, too, because we've seen a lot of these acquisitions focused on the more classic corporate and crisis financial comm specialty yeah, real specific classic corporate comms expertise recently. So good people move here. Fleischman Hillard has promoted Tim O'Keefe to its global MD of technology uh, and filling his former role is Kristen Hollis, uh, who's joining the firm as San Francisco GM. She previously worked at the DJE Holdings technology shop Revere. Yeah, which is settled par Edelman, isn't yes. it? Um, yeah, loads of interesting stories there, but there's, there's the deal market's still hot, isn't it? You know, the economy might be slowing down, but there's still plenty of deals, M&A acquisitions and what have you. It is, and I, I'm struck by if you look at these, uh, they're very specific shops, aren't they? They're all specialty shops, you know, whether it is the agencies that uh, Edelman Global Advisory bought uh, in recent weeks, or it's the influencer-specific shops that uh, WPP acquired. Uh, it looks like the larger networks are looking to bring on agencies that do very specific expertise and things. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, Therese, thank you so much for joining us. Really fascinating to find out more about that research and uh, definitely worth checking out. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. No problem. Just a couple of uh 
customer service announcements. Our Crisis Comms Conference is only a couple of weeks away. It's in DC and it's on the 12th of April. Really looking forward to that one, an inaugural event. Our Global Awards are in London on the 9th of May and uh, we'll be celebrating the best in global work teams and individuals. Our Healthcare Conference and Awards in New York City on the 24th of May and the Brand Entertainment Awards will be in New York on the 6th of June. And don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you've got your agency business report submissions in. If you're in the agency world, running out of time to do that. So make sure you've got them in. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. PR Week.